I made an observation when I uh, when I was sitting there before worship started, and I was I was just watching. I'm a people watcher. I'm an introvert, uh, and so it's fun for me to sit down, sit back, and just kind of watch and observe people. And I wanted to tell you something that I observed this morning. This is this is extemporaneous, so it's off the cuff. The love that you have for each other is humbling. Watching you guys walk in and show fond affection for one another, coming in community to worship the Lord together, just loving on each other is an encouragement. It's amazing to see that level of connection I see with you people. I am so honored and blessed to be here, to serve you, I'm blown away that D-Now has doubled what it did last year, and I am honestly riddled with anxiety over it. But I'm trusting that the Lord is doing a mighty work, and I see it evidenced in this church, even on Sunday morning as we greet each other with brotherly and sisterly love. And I just wanted to say that because I wanted to be an encouragement this morning because we're going to read from Isaiah chapter 6 as we begin or continue our time of worship and begin the time of the proclamation of the word. Beginning in verse 1, the prophet Isaiah says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. As we talk this morning, I'm... I'm just so overwhelmed. I have to go with the children. It's awesome, but I'm going to miss this message and I was looking forward to it, so I have to catch it on Zoom or YouTube. But here's the thing. We want God to illuminate our minds to see His glory and let us not be ashamed to say, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And we dwell in a land of unclean lips, but God is our hope. Because here's what it says, Then one seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hands, which he had taken from the altar. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. There is always hope in the midst of the despair. Let us pray as we proceed with the proclamation of God's word. Father, we come before you. And we know that you are more awesome than our words could ever say. That your sacrifice on the cross was more of a debt than we could ever have paid. 
And we are so thankful. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to our hearts and minds, open the eyes of our hearts that we would see you more clearly. Mm-hmm. Let us just embrace the beauty of who you are. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Bruce. I'm going to take this moment to send our K-5 through grade over with Miss Joanna. She's waiting over here for you guys. And as you guys go... And they're heading to their classes today. I do want to remind you that next week we will not be sending kids out because it is a family Sunday. Again, that opportunity to give our teachers a chance. Bruce, Pastor Bruce has been back there three weeks in a row uh, because of sickness and filling in and also filling just to be a teacher. This is my opportunity to make a teacher plug um, that if you uh, have any desire to work with children in our ministries here, what a great opportunity to pour in and invest now is the time to be able to do that. Talk to Pastor Bruce. I'm sure he would love to talk to you. As they are heading out, I want to remind you, we are in our study on Ephesians called Made Worthy. And we are in our fourth week of Ephesians. And in our fourth week of Ephesians, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, wrapping up the last part of the first chapter. So as you head there, I want to let you know that there is a shift that is about to take place in the letter as we read this letter to Ephesus. Paul, he opened, as we talked about a few weeks ago, with a reminder. A reminder to the church at Ephesus about who they were, and not just who they were, but whose they were. They are children of God, made worthy in Christ. And then he goes on from there, a second to, to praise God, and say, you are the blessed one. And the blessed one poured out blessings to each of us. And in that, he took that and he lifted it up to share all the ways that we have spiritual blessings in being made worthy in Christ. As he makes that shift, the words that begin, verse 15 kind of, I don't know, exemplify that. It points us out to see that shift taking place. My version says, this is why. If you're reading from King James, it's going to say, wherefore. Or another version might say, for this reason. I never stop giving thanks. Well, what is this is why? What is the therefore? What is the wherefore? What reason is it? Why does he never stop giving thanks? Well, we go back to those blessings. Those blessings, we're blessed by God. We're chosen by God. We are predestined by God. We are adopted by God. We're redeemed in Christ. We are forgiven in Christ. We are marked and we are sealed in the Holy Spirit. And we're given an inheritance by the Spirit. That shift that is taking place, he begins the letter with praise and he shifts to prayer. And we'll be shifting to that prayer today and we're going to be basically going from what he was saying is he's talking to the people about God and now he's going to be talking to God about the people and he prays a prayer of thanksgiving. He he prays a prayer of intercession and he prays a prayer of praise. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. I give thanks to God for the things that you've done for us. The being blessed and being adopted and being chosen. I I give thanks to Him and I'm looking at it how it's working itself out in the believers at Ephesus' life. You can see the results. Because of these things that I have seen and I have heard. He says, I have heard it, which means there's other people talking about it. That they have faith in Jesus and a love for each other. Even as Pastor Bruce got up here and said, he he loves to see the love that we have for each other. This church is a family. 
And it's great to see that connection. And we hear that from others, and it's a great thing. We have this because we've been blessed by God. And we'll get into more of those details. I don't want to get into the message before I actually read the passage. So let's go ahead and read the passage together. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. We're going to read through the end of the chapter. It says, this is why. Since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you may know what is the hope of His calling, what is the wealth of of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the mighty working of His strength. He exercised this power in Christ by raising Him from the dead and seating Him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He subjected everything under His feet and appointed Him as head over everything for the church, which is His body the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. It almost feels weird to say this because this is Paul's prayer, but I'd like to open in prayer, praying this prayer again. So would you join me? Father, this morning we pray for what Paul prayed for. Would you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him? Would you open our eyes and our hearts and enlighten us so we may know what is the hope of your calling? That we may know what is the wealth of your glorious inheritance in the saints and know what is the immeasurable greatness of your power towards us who believe according to the mighty working of your strength. We pray it all in your powerful name. Amen. So let's jump back to verse 15 and 16 where it says these words, This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. There's two things that we see here that Paul is thankful for. Two important characteristics that are found in Christian believers, in followers of Christ. First thing is this, is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Second thing is this, love for each other. Love for the saints. Actually, Paul mentions one other thing that's found in verse 12 that we talked about last week. It's hope. And you'll see faith, hope, and love in a number of Paul's letters to other churches talking about these are the things that are integral in being a Christian. And they're important qualities. And why are these so important? Because they're essential. If you remember back what we talked about at the end of last week, I asked a very important question. Can a Christian lose their salvation? The short answer is, quick answer is, no, they cannot. A Christian is sealed by the Spirit, marked as God's by God. We did nothing to earn it. We did nothing to deserve it. So therefore, we can't do anything to lose it once we have it. And I emphasize the words, once we have it, because of this question. What is a Christian? What is a Christian? We talked about this last week as well when I said, hey, it's not just walking an aisle. It's not just raising your hand at the end of a service. And it's not just praying a prayer. It is putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him changing us to be more like Him. That is a definition of a Christian. That is us putting our faith in Him, which would include, guess what? Loving the saints. Loving each other. Called out ones that make up the church. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. This room is made up of all different sorts of people with all different views. 
And they're all different, but yet we are still one family and we love one another. God's people love one another. And it's not some emotional, irrational love. It's that agape love that we talked about a few weeks ago that that Christ had. Agape love is the idea that, that the love seeks what is best for the object that we're showing love to. So that is the love that we have as a church. It's something that John mentions in, in John thirteen thirty five. It says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. If you agape love one another. First, excuse me, first John three sixteen. It says, This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. How do we love people in the church with this kind of love because guess what there's people in the church that are going to annoy you there's people in the church that are going to rub you the wrong way as a matter of fact uh i got to talk to camden a handful of times this week as a matter of fact he called on the way i was coming into church and we were talking about some of the struggles he's having right now being on, on deployment and loving some of the people that he's with and he's like, Dad, I just want to get out of this place. I want to go back to my regular base. I want to have my friends that are there. He said, he actually asked me this. He said, Dad, how do you deal with the people in the church? How do you be nice to them? And I said, well, one is a difference. I'm talking about people in the church. You're talking about people in the military. Okay, so there's a, there's a, a, a chasm between those two things. I said, but the other thing is this. It's one simple word that we're going to talk about heavily on Easter. Grace. Grace. It is by grace. The grace of God that He has showed to me because I was an enemy of His when He decided to send His Son to die for me. He showed me grace. The grace that He has poured out on me should overflow to others. And that is how we love the people in the church. We have to understand who we are. And again, whose we are and why we are His. We have to have a proper view of ourselves and a proper view of others. And that proper view comes because God shows us. Because He has opened our eyes. Because on our own, if I wanted to try and love you because I think I'm such a great person, well, guess what? Self-righteousness will come in and then I'm going to start judging you compared to me because I think I'm such a great person. And guess what? You're not going to measure up to me. Because that's self-righteousness. That's when we look at things without God because that is the natural human condition. That's why when we say, and what Paul says to remind the church at Ephesus, you've been blessed by God. You've been chosen by God. You've been predestined by God. You've been adopted by God. You've been redeemed by Jesus. You've been forgiven by Jesus. Those things we need to understand, it wasn't me. I'm not good enough. When I have that proper perspective it changes everything and it changes how i love somebody else and that's how i can show grace to somebody else because god did it not me humility is the key and paul is thanking god for the things that we have the blessings but he's also thinking that they're on display in the church at ephesus that they are putting their faith in jesus and it's on display and that they are loving one another and it's on display And he's thanking the church at Ephesus as well. And he's commending them because these Christian values are evident in their lives. We call it fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the gentleness, the kindness, the self-control. Those 
things are evident. And he's thanking God for it. What an amazing encouragement. Wouldn't you like Paul to say, hey, man, you were rocking it. Of course, that's when that humility thing comes in. You're like, nope, not me. It's all God. Because I'm not rocking it. Everything inside me wants to be self-righteous. Everything inside of me wants to speak down to somebody. But I have to remember who I am. Verse 17 through 19, the prayer becomes more personal. The prayer becomes more personal. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what is the wealth of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the mighty working of His strength. Coming off of verses 15 and 16, these verses would seem... That, that Paul is actually praying, because God is giving us such a wealth of spiritual blessings, I pray that He would give you a proper and open and deeper knowledge of Him. That you would understand who He is. He prays words like a spirit of wisdom, or some translations say spiritual wisdom and understanding. A revelation in the knowledge of Him. Enlighten or open the eyes of my heart. He's praying, God, help us to see you better. Help us to want you more. Help us to want what you want. I mean, if you go back to the Beatitudes we talked about last summer, Matthew chapter 5, what do you hunger for? And when you are hungry, what's the only thing you can think about? Is that thing that we're going to quench that hunger. And when you're thirsty, what's the only thing you can think about? It's the thing that will quench that thirst. He says, hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Paul is praying this over us. And he's praying, saying, I just want you to know God more. I want you to know Him and desire Him more. Open the eyes of my heart. You probably heard those words before if you grew up in the church because it was a popular Christian song, worship song, in the 90s. It was one that I particularly didn't like because I thought it was weird. It says, open the eyes of my heart. As a high school, college kid, I had no idea what that meant. I'm like, why do we have eyes in our heart? How weird is that? And we're singing to God about it. But then I started to come to this understanding of what they're actually saying and how they're praying it. It's what Paul is praying here in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. And how do I want to see you? I want to see you high and lifted up. I want you to see you shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. I want to have the right view of God because if I have the right view of God, I will also have the right view of myself. That is what the song is. That is what the the prayer is. How do you see God? How do I see God? How do we see God? It's a loaded question, isn't it? Do we see Him high and lifted up? Do we see Him in all of His glory? Do we see Him holy, 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 set apart? Is that how we see Him? Do we see Him as the all-powerful one who loved us enough to pull us out of the condition that we are in because of His love and adopt adopt us into His family? What's our view of God? Do we really know Him? Or even better question, do we want to? Do you want to know God? Do you want to know Him more deeply? Do you want to know Him and walk in His truth? Do you want to go deeper with Him? Because our tendency, naturally, is no. It's no. 
And what Paul is praying here is we need to get rid of that natural tendency. We need the power of God. That God would open our eyes to know Him better. And not just our physical eyes, but also the eyes of our soul. The eyes of our heart. You know, I've had a number of conversations over the last few weeks that have led me to ask this question. What is the greatest threat to the church today? My guess is for you and I sat down one-on-one and I said, hey, what do you think the greatest threat of the church today is? Is We get a, a whole wide array of answers. What's the greatest threat? People probably talk about politics and people probably talk about, you know, um, different things with gender and different... Uh, the, the list would be huge. But let me tell you what I believe. While all those other things are threats to the church, the greatest threat is a lack of knowing God and His truth. The Christians do not know God and they do not know His truth. There's a guy by the name of Vody Bauckham. I've quoted him before. He's a famous pastor, famous evangelist. And he's a guy who speaks the truth. And he doesn't care how it might step on people's toes. He speaks the truth. And I heard him say something a while back that stuck with me. And he said this. He said, how goes the family, so goes culture. And that was something that stuck to me, but he went further than that and he said, how goes the father, so goes the family. And he took it one more step further than that when he said, how goes the knowledge of the father, so goes the father. It all starts with how we know Jesus. How we know God. Our desire to fall more in love with Him. So the biggest threat to the church and the people who make up the church is an inadequate, anemic, impoverished knowledge of God. To the degree that God is merely just a presupposition. He is a background assumption. He's just an article of faith and nothing more to the degree that God is taken for granted. The church is focused too much on technique, too much on cultural engagement, too much on style, unfortunately too much on how can we water down this message, too much on reaching out and assimilating new members that have come from other churches rather than reaching out to the lost to bring them in. But the most basic fundamental thing, the most basic fundamental thing, our communion with God, our our intimate connection with Him, the triune God of Scripture, a fear that has been taken for granted. I really do. And neglected and overlooked. See, the greatest need in the church is knowledge of God. It is communion with God. It's connection with Him. Uh, knowing His glory and knowing His grace and being aware of His presence and being aware of His sovereignty and being aware of His power and His mercy and His love. But we don't. Because our natural tendency is to be self-righteous. I don't, I don't need God. I don't need Him, and when I do, I can do most things on my own. But we need the power of God to, to make all this happen. We, we, that's why Paul prays, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. It, it is up to you to do it. I want to understand you. I want to know you more deeply, but, but on my own, I can't do it. There's a great example of God opening the eyes of His followers in Luke chapter 24. It's after Jesus had been uh, crucified, buried, and rose again. And two of his disciples were on the road to Emmaus. And as they're on that road, they were talking, they were discussing, Jesus shows up, but they don't know who he is. He's just another guy to them. They don't understand it. Their eyes haven't been opened. But Jesus, as they're sitting there eating together, opens their eyes, and then 
he disappears. And they're like, oh, weren't our hearts just burning as we were talking to him? Didn't we have some inclination of what was going on? And he was right there in our presence the whole time. And then just a few verses later, he opens their minds to understand the Scripture. It's him opening up because naturally we're going to try and deflect that. We have to pray for the opening of our eyes. I mean, Paul, how he begins the letter. He reminds them who they are. But he also reminds them whose they are and even more, more importantly, why and how they got that way. Put me in my place, God. You are God, I am not. Psalm 119. Longest psalm in the Bible. 176 verses. I had some friends that memorized it. I'm like, way to go. But the reality is, as you look at it, you see this unfold too in Psalm 119. It says, How happy are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep His decrees and seek Him with all their heart. That sounds like it's up to us. Try harder. Sometimes we can just take a verse and miss the entire context. Jump down to verse 9 through 11. It says, How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping your word? I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. There's kind of a shift there. Don't let me wander. I have treasured your word in my heart so I might not sin against you. And then jump down to 18. You see the shift fully take place. Open my eyes so that I may contemplate the wondrous things from your instruction. Verse 34, help me understand your instruction. I will obey it and follow it with all my heart. 135, may your face shine on your servant and teach me your statutes. Here's the thing. I told you the greatest threat to the church is us not knowing him, but I think the reason why we miss God is because we don't pray for our eyes to be open. We think we can do it on our own. We think we are self-sufficient and we only need God's help when we can't. I mean, think about this. What do we pray for? And when do you pray? It's when things aren't going well. And God, I need you to do this because I can't. But, what if our prayers were not like that, but instead, God, help me understand you. Help me understand who you are. Help me understand why you are. Help me understand why you do what you do. Guide me, lead me, direct me, grow me in you. Our view of ourselves tends to dull and distract us from who God really is because we think too highly of ourselves and we think too low of God. And it creates a mess. But look what Paul does here in the passage as he lifts God up with a few simple words in verse 17. Ones that we probably just read over when it says, The glorious Father. The glorious Father. He's recognizing that God is the source of glory and power. When we're praying, let me just tell you this. We're not praying to some weak, limp-wristed God. We are praying to the one and only God, the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present creator and sustainer of all things. That is who we are praying to. That is who we are connected with. That's who we are adopted by. And Paul is praying that we see that. And not just that we see that, but we also know that. He's praying for a revelation of knowledge in him. Again, the greatest need in the church know him Paul prays it similar for the Colossian church when he says this he says continue growing in the knowledge of God can I just if you don't get anything else out of today can I just make this very clear the beginning the middle and the end of Christian life is to know God 
And to continue growing in Him. The beginning, John chapter 17, verse 3 says this, the eternal, This is eternal life, that they may know you. The only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Knowing Him, that is the beginning. As a matter of fact, the flip side of that is found in Matthew 7, 22 and 23, which says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? And he announced to them what? I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. It's knowing God. The middle, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, where Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Life. It's about knowing him. The end, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Dear friends, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, We'll be like Him because we will see Him as He is. The Christian life is always moving towards knowing God more. It's moving towards knowing God more. As a matter of fact, so many churches have this as their slogan. Know God and make Him known. Know God and make Him known. And that's not a bad slogan at all. Because that's what it all boils down to. Know God and then share that truth with others. It's like J.I. Packer says in his book, Knowing God. Those who know God have four characteristics. A great energy for God, a great boldness for God, great thoughts of God, and a great contentment in God. Can I say, we should be praying for that? Not just for ourselves, but for each other as we love the saints. Praying that the eyes of our heart, praying for each other, that we experience the great energy and the great boldness and the great thoughts and have that great contentment in Him. How would that change the church? The thing is, Paul doesn't stop there. He continues to pray. He prays more, not just praying for knowledge, but also that they may know what, what is the hope of the calling. What is the wealth of His glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the mighty working of His strength. What is the hope of His calling? Do you know that? Do you know why God has called you and the hope that He has called you to? As a believer, as a follower, do you understand the hope of salvation that we have? God has called us to a distinct way of life with a glorious future of hope. That is an amazing thing. That is what the gospel is all about. What is the wealth of His glorious inheritance? What is it? We talked about it last week. Either we are God's inheritance or as God's adopted children, we will receive God's inheritance. But either way... Think about the value that has been placed on us because we are in Him. Think about that for just a second. You and I were worth one Jesus to God. I got seven kids. I wouldn't give any one of them up for any of you. Flat honesty. But Jesus was given up by His Father for people who didn't even like Him. And I like you guys. That's the truth of the matter. That is the glorious inheritance we have because God loves us that much. Do we grasp that? Are our eyes open to that? What is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us? It is the power of God in us. We need to plug into it. We tend to try and fight our battles on our own. And we forget whose we are. This is the best illustration I could possibly think of with this. Anytime I rent a car, I'm always glad it's got all those super cool features on it. I don't know about you, but tinker around with all those features. 
Maybe you already have a car that's like that. Maybe you got the super platinum edition or the Titan or the, you know, the, the, uh, you know, Lariat, all the extra stuff that's on it. But some people who buy those big, expensive, extra packages never use them. They might as well have just got the base XL version. The stick shift. Well, maybe not. But they're not using what is available to them that has been given to them in the package. Guess what? We have quite the package that's been given to us in Jesus Christ. We have quite the power and none of us tap into it because we're trying to do it on our own. Have you ever heard that song, Surrounded? It's called Surrounded, This Is How I Fight My Battles. Simple lyrics. As a matter of fact, it just repeats the same thing over and over and over again. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. When it feels like I'm surrounded, guess what? I'm surrounded by you. And that's a constant reminder in us. We have this immeasurable power that is surrounding us, waiting for us to tap into. And Paul goes into the description of what that power looks like in verses 20 through 23. Listen to what it says. He exercised this power in Christ by raising from the dead and seating him at the right hand of the heavens far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as a head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Reading that, you see this progression in power. It, it starts off with raising him from the dead. It goes into seating him at the right hand to so the truth is, forever, both now and the future, to the placement above all things that He is supreme above everything. I'd never heard that song, that last song. There's never been a king like this. But I was just listening to the words and you guys singing it and going, that's this! There's never been a king like this who would lay down his life. There's never been a king like this who's reigned supreme. There's never been... This is the one we're talking about. This is our king. And you go into each one of these things, this the power that's there, and really they, they have their own sermon on their own, so I'm going to do my best to, to just give you a highlight. As it says, the power, the resurrection from the dead, you realize that Jesus crushed death? That is no easy task. That is what we celebrate on Easter, and that is what we celebrate every other day of our lives. You know why? Because when he crushed death, life had meaning. Before there was no meaning. Before he crushed death, we were just living to die. But living in God has hope. The power we have to live this life is finding hope in Him. And we're going to talk more about that next week as we get into verses 4 through 7 in chapter 2. The power of resurrection from the dead. The power who is given that seated Jesus at the right hand. Jesus isn't just alive now and forevermore. He's reigning now and forevermore. Because that right hand is a position of favor and honor and victory, and power. And it means everything to a follower of Christ. It means that everything is under the reign of the seated king. As a matter of fact, if you read Hebrews chapter 1, it tells us that Christ is upholding the universe by the word of his power. You know, if he can do that, we can trust him with our problems. There's nothing we can go to God with and he's like, mm, that's just a little too big for me. Sorry. We can trust him with everything that we have. Because he is a king and he is supreme, which leads us to the next one, the, the power who made Christ supreme. Every other power in this world is inferior to him. And everything is subjected to his rule. I'm not sure if you've ever heard that 
sermon they, they've made videos out of but he's like that's my king because that's it that is my king that is my power source that is who I fall under as Christ's headship the power who put Christ there the head over all things including his body the church it says that he fills us the church with his spirit with his grace with his gifts with his presence we are dependent on him in all things and for all things and he is trustworthy to give us what we need. And that's the amazing thing, that that power's in us. That power is in us. He has given it to us. He is surrounding us. He is the one who is mighty to save. And I want to thank Him for who He is and what He has done to change my life, to bring me closer to Him. And I want to pray that my eyes are open to who He is that I never forget how great a God that I get to serve is. How amazing and how omnipotent, all-powerful that He is. All the things that describe Him, all His attributes, all His traits, He's worthy. And I'm thankful we get to praise Him for it. This morning, let me just challenge you this. If you don't know this God, know Him. Get to know Him. Connect with Him. If you've never met Him, let's talk about that. If you have met Him, let's talk about taking you deeper. Let's see that greatest threat to the church is stifled. That we see the church know God and His truth and grow in it and praise Him because of it. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for who You are. Thank You for Your words through Paul that have been preserved for us to read preserved for us to study and preserved for us to apply. And God, as we see these words, I pray you open the eyes of our hearts and our souls. That we see you for who you are and see us for who we are. That God, you may be lifted up and that we see you shining in the light of your glory. We ask you to pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy for those in here who do not know you, who have had maybe thoughts, disagreements with you, the way you make things happen, the way that that you allow things to happen that have dulled us and distracted us from who you really are. God, may those things go away. Open the eyes of our heart. We know that you are the mighty one who is mighty to save. You are the one that is the one who fights our battles. All we have to do is plug in. I pray this morning that we see that and we plug into that power, that we use the package that is available to us for your glory and your honor. We pray it in your name. Amen.